The world is looking for leadership. The world is looking for someone who seems like they have some answers. And yet everywhere it turns, it doesn't find it. Now, just so that doesn't discourage you, let me give you a little more bad news. All of that is setting a stage so that when Antichrist comes, he will be received with open arms because he will appear to be the leader that solves all of our problems. This world is moving toward a conclusion. And Antichrist will one day rise and offer to provide the leadership that we are all longing for. And except for those of us who know Christ, he will deceive the entire world of every tribe and tongue and nation and creed into believing that he is their hope and he will be for a season. And then he will turn on man and there will be a great tribulation. Antichrist will say that he is the savior of the world. By the way, that's not the first time that term's been used. Caesar Augustus claimed the title and was spoken of by the Roman people, Savior of the world. It escalated in 12 BC when Halley's Comet came shooting across the sky. Caesar Augustus chose that moment to proclaim to the people that Julius had ascended into heaven and left him to be the Son of God. Twelve years later, the Son of God would be born, and angels would declare it. The first person to declare that Jesus was the Son of God was not the Son of God. It was God's angels, God's representatives. And although Caesar claimed to be the Savior of the world and the Son of God, in reality, all Caesar was was an errand boy for God. God just reached down and said, Hey, dummy, I need you to plan a census so you can feel really good about yourself. And Caesar said, I think I'll plan a census. And I'll make everybody go to their hometown. I can do that because I'm the ruler of the world. He wasn't on the front of the Titanic when he said that, but in some ways maybe he was. And so here's Caesar who has issued this census and Joseph and Mary have to go to a little obscure town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread. It sits 2,300 feet above sea level five miles south of Jerusalem. It's a little town that politicians didn't pay attention to. No presidential candidate would have ever stopped a bus there to talk to anybody. It was too insignificant. The religious leaders didn't even pay attention to it, although great things had happened in Bethlehem. David, it was the city of David. It was a place where Rachel was buried. But by this point, uh, Bethlehem's just this little hick town outside of Jerusalem where things are really happening. Every time we do an interview or anything, people say, now, 
is Albany a, a suburb of Atlanta? I said, yeah. yeah. We're just three hours south. Two hours and 40 minutes if I don't have anybody watching me. I just plead mercy. Here is a little town that in a matter of minutes from the Temple Mount, you can go out and stand and look over the shepherd fields that are still there today, that still have sheep in them, and see this insignificant town. And really the only significant thing in that town now is the church that was built by the Catholics to mark the spot that they claim would be the place where Jesus was born. The Roman officials didn't pay attention to it. The Jewish leaders had no idea that it was a significant place in what God was doing. And the cry of that baby was so far off center stage that nobody paid attention to it. Nobody noticed Joseph and Mary. Nobody paid attention to them. But when Jesus was born, all heaven broke loose in a worship service. The heavens began to declare the glory of God to a very unlikely audience. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly, there's that word again, there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased so here is a proclamation of good news this supernatural announcement that the angels had been waiting for millennia to pronounce Think about a choir that has been practicing for this before Adam and Eve were ever put in the garden. They've been rehearsing, they've been practicing the one song that would resonate throughout the heavens at an increased decibel among anything anybody had ever heard. They're just waiting for God to say, go. And they announced to these shepherds. Now let's just think about this crowd. I mean, if you were going to announce a movie title or a movie premiere or the newest iPhone or the newest energy-efficient cars, those are really working well. If, if you were to announce those kind of things, you wouldn't go to people that couldn't buy the product. You would go to the movers and the shakers. You would go to the media. You would go to the, the people that can make things happen, the influencers. You, you would go to, at least to the high priest and tell him or the Pharisees and the Sadducees who should have known that this was coming. Maybe you would have sent a, a letter to Caesar in advance and said, 
hey, just want you to know the Eagles sang a song about it, but we thought about it first. There's a new kid in town. But God didn't do any of that. Of all the people on the planet that God could have let a host of the heavenly multitude appear before, it was the lowliest group of people that he could find. Shepherds. God's option was shepherds. The least, the lowly, the dirty, the unclean, the ones that didn't have a home to go to because they stayed with the sheep all the time. In fact, they were social outcasts. Although, they were the ones in Bethlehem who tended the sheep that would be taken every day to the temple to be sacrificed. Although they were the ones making sure that the sheep were unblemished. They were the ones making sure that the sheep were worthy to put on an altar to be sacrificed to God. They were the ones, yet they were outcasts. They couldn't go to the Temple Mount. They were socially on the outskirts. To have made this kind of announcement to the shepherds would be like you walking into a country club with an illegal immigrant who had been working outside for a week. Those things are just not done. It would be like taking a homeless person to the White House and saying, sleep in the Lincoln bedroom and don't worry about taking a bath. Oh, that's just not acceptable. Isn't it funny how God turns our thoughts upside down? And God says to stinking, dirty, smelly from a distant shepherds, you're going to get the first word when my son is born. That's the way God works. God sent his message. Listen, this is what you've got to get. God sent his message to people that were not eaten up with their own importance, that were not impressed with themselves, that didn't try to tell you how important they were. They knew they were lowly. They knew they were outcasts. Look at the quote in your notes by Chuck Swindoll. Imagine how the outcast shepherds felt when they heard their king's palace was a stable and his cradle was a feeding trough. At last, they had a king who shared their lowly station, who would care about the things that mattered to them. Perhaps this king would value his subjects more than conquest and the acquisition of more and more wealth. Luke chapter 1 and verse 52, if you just back up into the previous chapter, here's this announcement. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, verse 52, and has exalted those who were humble. Now, before we think, well, shepherds were pretty lowly, you know, and really, you know, okay, so God revealed to them, that's good, that's, that's okay, I get that. Let's just remember that God often revealed himself to shepherds. Abraham did some shepherding. Moses shepherd for, was a shepherd for 40 years. David was a shepherd and considered unworthy by his own father, never got his father's blessing enough to come and be presented as a possible option for the next king of Israel. But God found in a shepherd's heart somebody that he could trust with leadership. 
And then you have Jesus who said, I am the good shepherd and I am the great shepherd. So God's, God kind of likes shepherds, which means he likes people that are not full of themselves and caught up in who they are or what they have. So here's a little different paradigm. These shepherds are social outcasts. They are pushed to the side. Now, now think about it. They're tending sheep. They never get a day off. They have to work on the Sabbath or they have to work on Sunday in our terminology. So they never get to go to the synagogue for a worship service. They never get to go to the temple for great celebrations and feasts because they've always got a job to do. It's a day and night job. It's a 24-7 job. When they're through working, they put the sheep in a sheepfold and they sleep in front of the pen with one eye open knowing that the enemy will try to steal the sheep. They never get a break. These people are below minimum wage standards. They're below the poverty level. They just tend sheep. And God reveals his glory to these people. I love what John MacArthur says. John MacArthur said, The Lord's favor toward the shepherds aligned well with his historic disdain for their religious establishment's hypocritical attempt to be right with him through their own efforts. Thus the Lord effectively underscored the superiority of his grace over man's works when he announced Messiah's birth to a group of lowly shepherds. Here's what religion had done to those shepherds. Religion had created so many rules that they thought it was impossible for them to ever have a relationship with God. The Pharisees had added so much to the Bible, so much legalism, so many rules, so many regulations that common people that felt hopeless and fearful and wondered if anybody noticed that they ever existed, wondered if God cared about them. And so God said, I'm going to tell you how much I care about them. I'm going to go to the least and declare my glory. No angel that day appeared before the high priest. No angel that day appeared before the Sanhedrin. No angel appeared before Caesar. The angel appeared before shepherds. And it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. When we see that phrase, the glory of the Lord, it is always a manifest presence of God revealed in light. God's glory always has light attached to it. Why? Because this world walks in darkness. And so God's glory is attached to light. And God has revealed himself in these manifestations from time to time. To Moses, to the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle, filling Solomon's temple. Ezekiel saw God's glory departing the temple because God's people had forsaken his ways. But that night... The glory of God was revealed in a baby. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is stunning. Because God didn't show up full grown and announce himself. God announced his son before his son ever said a word out of his physical mouth. So... 
I think it's important that we not act casually about the glory of God. Let me just give you some references. The glory of God frightened Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 5. When the glory of God appeared, it caused Ezekiel to fall on his face in a coma, Ezekiel 1.28. When Gabriel appeared to Zacharias and then appeared to Mary, they were fearful, Luke chapter 1 and verse 12. When Peter, James, and John were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and the glory descended on Jesus, they fell on their faces in Matthew 17. And in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 17, when John saw the Shekinah glory of God, he fell on his face as if dead. We use that word glory very flippantly. And I think one of the reasons we use that word flippantly is because in our arrogance of self-importance, we forget our awe of a God who would save sorry people like us. Because if we think we're better than anybody else, then we're arrogant. And God is opposed to arrogance and pride. You know why there are cliques in schools? Arrogance. Some kids think they're better than other kids. There's not a kid made that's better than another kid. They're all sinners that deserve hell. I don't care what you look like. I don't care what you drive. I don't care how much money you got. There's no, there should never be a thing if we understood God's glory as the cool kid's table and the uncool kid's table. Everybody ought to be welcome at the table. You know, if it's well, our group has to sit here, then you need to get a glimpse of the glory of God because you hadn't gotten it yet. Because if you think you're better than anybody else in your school, that's public, private, wherever, you don't know the glory of God. By the way, if you think you're better than people in town that you look down on as you drive by them, you don't know the glory of God. Because you've forgotten that you deserve to be in that same position. There's nothing special about you. God could have easily put you in another place at another time, in another situation, in another country. He could have given you another skin color. And everybody would have looked at you differently. You see, we don't understand the glory of God because the glory of God gives us all that God would, first of all, even speak to us, much less save us. That we are no better than any person that walks this planet. We're just sinners saved by the grace of God. Now, these angels come to him and they say, do not be afraid. Why, why would you say, I mean, listen, let me just tell you. If an angel showed up in the sky and started talking, I would be a little bit afraid. <laughs> I'm just sorry, you know, you may be, hey, dude, come on down, let's have a talk. That's not, uh, I'd be, I'm just telling you, if an angel showed up, now I've been in churches where angels descend, you know, during the Christmas program, and they come down on cables, and it's, you know, it's Barney with wings, and, and he's got on his overalls under his robe, and everything, you know, and I've, I mean, I know all those deals. I'm talking about a real-life angel. If an angel came down and started talking, I would pay attention, but I would tell you the first thing. He would have to say, do not be afraid, because I'd be afraid. 
You talk about getting called into the principal's office. I mean, this is the ultimate call to the principal's office. God sent an angel to get my attention. It's like I was standing in a bookstore one day a, a couple of years after Ron Dunn died, and, and I was just standing there. Jim McBride was in there. We were in a Barnes & Noble in Atlanta, and, and I was standing there by a bookstore, and my phone rang, and I didn't recognize the number. It was an area code I did not recognize. I said, well, I'll go ahead and answer it. So I answered the phone, and I said, hello, and this voice said, Michael, Barry Dunn. Now, he said it so softly, it was Barry Dunn, Ron Dunn's brother, who talks exactly like Ron Dunn. Ron's been dead two years. Now, I just got to tell you, I was standing by, I leaned, and I said, can you repeat that, please? Because my thought that immediately went racing through my Mississippi mind was, I have made such a mess of things. God has given Ron a phone and told him to call me and tell me to shape up. It's Barry Dunn. Oh, hey, Barry. How are you? I mean, I'm sitting there. I'm breaking into a cold sweat. I go find Jim the minute I get off the phone. See, you're not going to believe what just happened to me. They said, don't be afraid. Why? Look at what. Because they came to give good news. Now, that's good news. God sent the angels not to send judgment, but he sent the angels to, angels to declare that the judgment was going to be on his son. And because his son would take our judgment, there was good news for us that we didn't have to bear the judgment of our sin that God was going to bear that. And so there was good news of great joy. By the way, that word great joy literally means laughter. So I want you to get the picture. You know, we always get the shepherds that come in. I, I remember the Christmas program that we went to at Terry's mom and dad church, and it was a drive through nativity. It was the lamest thing I've ever seen in my life. You know, the name of the Lowe's was on the side of the wood, and, you know, it just didn't look like it. And we were going to this drive through nativity. Then I turned to my mother-in-law. This was not a high point in our relationship. I turned to my mother-in-law, and I said, I didn't know the shepherds wore bifocals. Because these old guys are standing out there, and they can't stand out there without their glasses, and they got to go every 20 minutes for a smoke break. So, you know, they got to be able to see back and forth to what they're doing. And, you know, I, I, listen, this was laughter. I mean, these, these shepherds, these, I give you good news of great joy. The heavens were laughing. Can you believe this? Not laughing out of humor because God was playing a joke on man but laughing out of the pure joy and exhilaration of that God had finally shown up like he had promised for hundreds of years. These shepherds heard good news. There was power in the person of the good news. Now, so you ask the question, so how far does good news go? And there are people that would like to get in a theological debate about this, and I'd be glad to, but I would waste your time and you would waste mine. Let me just tell you how far good news goes. And when you get to heaven, God can tell you you're right or wrong. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 10. And I don't care what translation you read it in, this is what it says. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for what? 
Oh, I thought it was going to say just for some of the people. Do you notice that God did not use the word elect or predestined right there? You know why? Because good news is for all people. It's not for us to decide who gets saved. We don't choose for anybody else. You don't get to shift over your salvation to somebody else. You don't get to live off of somebody else's faith. Faith, good news is for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Jesus did not say, God did not say in that moment, okay, now this shepherd, okay, okay, I'm, I came for you. I did not come for you. I came for you. Not so much for you. You guys listen, you guys don't listen. It won't matter anyway. You see how we've messed up the gospel? We are so arrogant that we think we can tell God who can be saved. How arrogant of us. He said, for all people, all the people, obviously this refers to Israel, Israel's promised Messiah. It was the fulfillment of the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant. But here is all people that is broader because drop down to chapter 2 and verse 30. Don't lose me. Chapter 2 and verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, who are Gentiles? Everybody that's not a Jew. Here, Gentile, there, Gentile, everybody's a Gentile. Everybody's not a Jew is a Gentile. So let me tell you what the Greek word all means. It means all. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, I don't get a vote on that. Charles Spurgeon would say that on the gates of heaven, it says as you walk in, whosoever will may come. And as you turn around and look at it on the back, it says chosen before the foundations of the earth. Listen, folks, quit getting into theological arguments because most of the people that like theological arguments, the truth be known, don't share their faith with anybody. You just tell people about Jesus and God will figure it out. Okay? You just tell folks about Jesus. Because I tell you, there are more people that could be saved in Albany, Georgia, and in our region than there are people willing to tell people how they can be saved. We just need to tell folks good news. It's good news. You don't have to be afraid to tell it. Why? Because it's good news. They shouldn't be afraid to hear it. Why? Because it's good news. If they don't want to accept good news, that's fine. But our responsibility is to tell good news for all people, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is not an argument, it's a proclamation. We are to proclaim Him, Christ the Anointed One, the Set-Apart One. John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So 
you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. He was anointed in three ways. He was anointed as king. He was anointed as great high priest. And he was anointed as prophet. Christ the Lord, the divine designation for God's Son. And then the purpose of good news is found in verse 13. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Listen, I mean, this is not rocket science. If God has really come to this earth in the person of Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ really gave his life for us so that we could be freed from the penalty and power of our sin, if his death and resurrection really sealed for us an eternal home in heaven, then praise should not be a problem. I mean, it ought not to be a problem. Well, I don't feel like praising God today. Well, some days I don't feel like praising God either. Some days I don't feel like getting out of bed, but the last time I checked, if I'm going to get a paycheck, i got to get out of bed. Some days I don't feel like doing things. Some days you don't feel like doing things. Praise is a choice. We choose to praise God. Why? Because he is worthy of our praise. Not because we have to be propped up. Not because Mark has to stand up here and say, okay, let's praise the Lord now. Come on, I know y'all had a bad week. I know it's been tough. I know you, I know you spent a lot on your credit cards. I know that your mother just told you they can't afford to get you what you got on your list. But let's praise the Lord anyway. Come on, let's stand up. Let's praise the Lord. Come on, can, can we just get some, let's just work it up here. No. We walk in with praise in our hearts. And we bring the praise of God that we have given him through the week into this place, and it explodes in this place with a body of believers who gather together to praise God because we've got good news. Now notice, an angel shows up and declares this. That'd be enough. That'd be enough. I, you know, I guarantee you, whether you sang this morning or not, if an angel showed up here and started hovering right up here and there was a great light up here and it wasn't produced by artificial light and there was an angel up here and he said, I want you to praise God, I guarantee you, you'd get up and do it. Amen. If just one did. But that word multitude is an interesting word. So I, I checked this about five places. At least five different theologians and commentators say that multitude meant at least 100,000 angels. Now imagine those old shepherds, <laughs> rags, dirty, grimy face, shepherd staff. You can smell the sheep if you're downwind of them for three miles. Imagine them. And all of a sudden, one angel shows up, and they're wowed by that. And then, just suddenly, 100,000 people come into the room. 100,000 angels singing glory.
to God. Think those old boys started singing and shouting? I do. I think they got happy praising God and peace on earth. This is not a sentiment of politicians, peace on earth. It is what God does with people who enjoy his pleasure. Here's what it means. It means it doesn't matter who wins in November. It does, but it doesn't. It doesn't matter what economists say. There's a peace that underlies our lives that cannot be broken by circumstances or external events. It is a peace that the Bible calls one that passes all understanding. It is the peace of God and the God of peace that does something for us that no one, nothing else can do for us. I believe that God is positioning us. We won't be 100,000, but I believe that God is positioning us to make some heavenly announcements this next year. They're going to make an impact in lives around the world and across the street. The last two Sunday nights, I don't know that I've ever sensed God speaking to people's hearts in this church outside of a refresh conference. The last two Sunday nights, I don't know if I've ever sensed God speaking to us and giving us clearly what is on his heart more than he has given us the last two weeks. If you were not here, it would be like you not being at the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. You're just going to get it hearsay and secondhand. But I'll tell you, God has spoken to us. God has spoken to me. God has made it Waterford crystal clear, as our friend Jay Strack would say, about his preferred future for my life, first of all, personally. For my family and for this church. I don't know that I've ever had a, a clearer sense of direction. God didn't send an angel to make that announcement to me. His Holy Spirit inside of me and his word have convicted me of what I need to be and what I need to do. Last week we had truth for a Christmas concert, probably best Christmas concert I've ever seen them do. And, and uh, they were raising money for American leprosy mission. It takes $300 to cure a child of leprosy. And uh, they're way short of their goal. They had about 200 and something. And so, I mean, I was sitting right there. I was sitting right there. And God said, Ask for 50. And I said, okay. So I got up. Those of you that are here, this is a little repeat, but I just want to give you the context. I got up. I didn't even tell Terry that we were going to do this. I just got up. And I said, Terry and I are going to sponsor two cures for leprosy. Now, guess what? I will never meet those children until I see them in heaven. 
They're never going to write me a card because some of them don't have hands to write with anymore. I'm not going to get a thank you note. I'm not going to get a Christmas picture. I'm not going to get a card. We sponsored two. And I asked 48 other people to help us. As of this morning, we have 114 cures sponsored for leprosy. Because... And when I went out to the table and I talked to Maggie and Andrew, I said, so where are we? Because I, was, I, was, I just knew they were going to say, we got 35. See, God told me 50. And then when they told me that at that point it was 112, and they told me that, I said, well, I guess I didn't ask God for enough. And then God spoke to my heart. And he said, he would do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you hope or imagine. Guess what, folks? What God wants to do with us is to cure the leprosy of sin in our community that dominates us, that drives us, that causes fear in us, that divides us, that makes us think that we have haves and have-nots. God wants this church in this season to remember the great gift of good news that has been given to us and to go in this community and to say to people in stores who have had so many things happen to them that they're on their last nerve good news Merry Christmas Christ was born to set you free would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed? If you are here today and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, then you do not know the peace of which I have spoken. But you've heard enough gospel today, enough good news today to know that you need Jesus Christ to come into your heart and save you and to set you free from your sin. Whether you're in the balcony or the mezzanines, in the back, in the middle of a row, in the front, wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to just step out in just a moment and just come down and find one of these ministers and say, today, I need to trust Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I need to give my heart to Jesus today. It may be that you're here today, and what you need to do is just come to this altar and say, Lord, I need you to give me a heart for this community. I need you to help me. Listen, don't pray this unless you mean it. I prayed it one year, just about wrecked my life. But it was one of the best years I ever had. Maybe you need to pray, Lord, help me to love lost people the way you love lost people. And when you love lost people the way God loves lost people, you care more about them than you care about yourself. And maybe what you need to do is just kneel at this altar and say, Lord, I, I just have not cared. I, I've not had compassion for lost people. I've judged them. I've been arrogant. I've been critical. I've just, or I've just been indifferent. I thought it was somebody else's job. And I need to care. I need to have your heart for the least and the lost like you have it. 
So I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to begin to sing. Whether you need to come and kneel at this altar or come and give your heart to Jesus Christ this morning, we're going to give you time to do that. But come quickly. We're not going to linger long, but we are going to give you time to make your way down here.